Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, yo, happy Thursday and welcome back for another episode of Suncast. As always, I'm super grateful to have your ear today. So thank you for investing this time here with me. Today's episode is a longer segment from our recording live at the SPI Podcast Lounge earlier this fall. We had so many great conversations there that I'm doing my darndest to get them out to you every opportunity I get. This is one of the few community solar sessions that we've hosted here on Suncast. In fact, one of today's guests is a returning guest, Mr. David Amstrolchevsky of Sunshare, and he graced the Suncast pages as it were back in january of 2019 he's joined by another alumnus mr jake rosemarin of Atana group and a longtime friend and someone i've wanted to get onto the show mr mj shao of arcadia power i've wanted to have mj on since his gtm day so thrilled he was able to participate in this community roundtable community solar roundtable And tomorrow, we're going to feature another Podcast Lounge episode in our Flashback Friday series with fellow podcasters Barry Cinnamon and John Powers. So be sure you are subscribed to Suncast so that you won't miss that one. All right, let's get into this community solar roundtable, shall we? Without further ado, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. We are back live here at the Podcast Lounge, live at SPI, Solar Power International 2019. Thanks to our sponsor, Radiant Reet, and our producer, Suncast Media. We have the distinct pleasure to bring, unfortunately, the only session that we have on Community Solar, but this is going to be a doozy. We have some folks that have deep experience, research, and knowledge into this space, and I'm going to try my best to extract it here today. Joining us directly across from me, if you're in the audience, is MJ Shao, the Director of Corporate Strategy for Arcadia Power. Welcome, MJ. Thanks for having me. Indeed. Directly to your left, we have Jake Rosemarin, Vice President of Antenna Group. Jake, welcome. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and just across from you to my right, we have David Amstrolchevsky. Did I get that right? You got it right. Yes. Months (laughs) of preparation. Months of preparation. (laughs) Who is the founder and CEO of Sunshare. And uh, if you haven't listened to the episode on Suncast with David, it was an epic on how the Colorado community solar market began and how you guys have been expanding into Minnesota. Today, we're going to dig a little deeper into the hot markets, the how and why of community, where are the stumbling blocks, but also how do we really see this as a model that explodes? We all believe that it's the fourth version, right? The fourth version of how solar uh, can expand, as we talked about. Um, So let's get right to what's on everyone's mind. We've seen Colorado 
and Minnesota as examples in the United States of how community solar can really be harnessed to provide solar for, uh, well, for corporates who are looking to get in, but also for commercial and resi and low-income uh, customers. So we've got some differentiation around the subcategories of potential users. We happen to have two companies that are focused exclusively on the residential market, but I think that we can pontificate a bit about, and you guys are actually moving a little bit into commercial now too, so we can pontificate about the different markets. I'd love to hear from your perspectives. What are the current hot markets in the United States? Where do you see things evolving? And what sort of programs are working versus what programs aren't working? You want to take a first crack? Sure. Um, you know, you got your original community solar markets, which were Colorado and Minnesota. And since then, there's now a latest count, I think, is up to 20 uh, states that have community solar programs. And in terms of markets that work, Colorado and Minnesota definitely work, but they definitely need improvement. So uh, a lot of what we're working on on the policy side is rebooting the Colorado and Minnesota market. So we had the um, House Bill 1003 in Colorado that uh, was signed by Governor Polis in, in May at our solar farm, expanding the Colorado Community Solar Program again. Mm-hmm. And um, actually some terrific news today. Um, uh, very, very early news. In fact, I don't even have the, the full read on it um, yet, but the Minnesota PUC is um, breaking out a docket to look at uncapping the community solar garden market in Colorado. Uh, with and a it's five currently megawatt. capped at what? Um, it, it's been capped at about 35 megawatts per year, which is Got very it. small. And um, the utility has been uh, forcing customers to pay it to take their renewable energy credits. Now, now, get this. A lot of these northeastern markets, customers get paid for their renewable credits. Right. Well, Excel requires customers to pay it mm. in order to connect to the grid and, and have community solar. So PUC um, is going to be investigating that um, and uh, as well as uncapping the market. So um, that actually just came out today. We're really excited about that. But we're also working on rebooting the Minnesota market. Um, so uh, I, I think we're going to see a lot of momentum in those markets uh, coming up yeah. in the next uh, 6 to 12 months. MJ? Yeah, I mean, if you want to survey what's out there for community solar, um, as David mentioned, there's, there's now up to you know, close to 20 markets that have legislated community solar. Uh, but you know, really, you're looking at some elements that, that make up for a good community solar market, right? We want an uncapped market, you know, Dave touched on a pod. Uh, we want, you know, a fair, sustainable build credit, one that makes projects work, but ones that work long term, right? And so, and then a number of other of just processes, policies, operations that help that flow of build credits to consumers uh, operate nicely as well. And ultimately, what we're seeing out there is, you know, you have this huge boom in, uh, of course, Minnesota, but that's so, sort of tailing off. But New York is kind of the new hot market, uncapped. You know, people are finally starting to wrap their head around the value stack credits. Um, you've got these emerging markets, or I shouldn't say emerging, but maybe like uh, a, a renovated market in, in Massachusetts, the SMART program, a uh, new market in Illinois that, you know, again, you know, it's a 400 megawatt shot in the, you know, it's, uh, sorry, less than that, but with the Illinois lottery program, you know, a little over 200 megawatts of community solar just in that shot from the lottery program. But that's a huge development opportunity for folks. And I think from there it becomes, okay, where do we survey? Where's the next market? Where, what are some of the hot markets that are going to be coming up? And so a lot of pay attention paid in, in Maine with just passed the bill. Um, you know, there's New Jersey and Maryland that have these little, you know, quote unquote, pilot programs, which 
personally, you know, are we really, do we really need more pilot programs? <laughs> we see successful community solar programs out there already, right? So, but, you know, these are pilot programs that hopefully can be built upon and, and continue to grow. So those are, you know, that's like kind of a quick survey, but also don't want to leave out some of the exciting small markets out there too, like Rhode Island that has a nice program that could be built upon and others that are, you know, continuing to explore community solar. So I'm hearing like seven, eight markets. Is it really that? I mean, it's not, that seems still pretty limited. Right? It's unbelievably limited. And um, I mean, when I started, this was, this was a two megawatt national market right. uh, eight and a half years ago, and, and that was Colorado. Um, and uh, but um, so we've seen a tremendous amount of growth there. I mean, Community Solar has passed the one gigawatt mark, and, and you see a lot of great uh, additions in, markets, in the marketplace. That said, um, you know, last Friday, um, uh, you know, the, the climate march uh, came right by our office on the way to the Capitol. And, um, you know, you see what demand there is for change in our society at a, at a global level. This is going a little bit outside of community solar, but I'll pull it back. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you see the 16-year-old from Europe, Greta, coming over here, um, uh, fighting with legislators about what we have to do in the United States to... Um, to really make uh, you know an impact and, and, and change the direction that our, our planet is going in. And then you look at rooftop solar, depending on where you get your research from, isn't available to 75% of homes. Well, that means the rest of this population that you have in the country that wants to take an actionable step after going to one of these climate marches, well, they can't. And then you say, okay, well, we got community solar in 20 states, of which seven or eight are really interesting. Well, that leaves 50, or sorry, 42 to 43 states in which either you don't have a community solar market or it's not interesting. Mm. So there is a long way that we have to go as an industry in order to bring these options to the 75% of consumers that, that can't get them, many of which are going to these climate marches, mm-hmm. want to make a difference, want to take the next step, but don't have that option. A lot of states, great, you know, Excel wants to be carbon-free by 2050. Most of our customer base will not be alive by 2050. Yeah. They want to make a change today, tomorrow, the day after. That's what we need to drive for in community solar is opening up more markets so that we can bring those options to customers, taking off caps, uncapping the programs, not creating a bunch of silly rules and programs, uh, but rather you want to create a rule to encompass everybody, don't allow credit score checks. Okay, Mm. done. But don't create a rule. Don't create any more complexity. Remove the barriers to let all customers participate in community solar. That's, I think, what we really have to drive as an industry to solve that problem. So made a lot of progress, but one gigawatt's not gonna cut it mm-hmm. in terms of the, the massive scale of climate change uh, mitigation steps we need to take. That's so m- moving away from FICO scores, I think is a, is a really good way to, to do it. And um, so a- as markets open up across the country, um, you know, I'm, I'm in New York and that's, there's so much activity happening there, super exciting. And New Jersey starting to open up and mentioned a pilot program and, and that's moving. Um, so something that I've observed in the market is that, um, you know, from the time there's policy passed to the time where a program is implemented, you have about a, a two year period for where the market is really just going to shaken out and people are trying to figure out what's going on. Um, there's a lot of design flaws in the markets. When Illinois opened up, you had a situation where, you know, it was like, hey, we're open for business. And then it was like, sorry, folks, we're closed 30 mm-hmm. seconds later. Right. Um, and so we obviously want to avoid that in markets moving forward. So I'm curious, um, maybe I'll pass this one to, to MJ. You know, what do you think is going to what do you think it's going to take to uh, start um, creating a more uniform set of policies uh, across markets? 
Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Uniform set. That, wouldn't that be a godsend, right? Like, I think... I, you know, I think the reality is that every state is going to want its own flavor of policy, right? And this is, this is true. You know, everyone wants their fingerprints on um, what this program is called, what it looks like, how it works, trying to, you know, everyone has their own individual stakeholders from the utilities to the ratepayer advocates to the, you know, the solar distributed solar companies that they have to balance and, and different regulators will take different angles on that. Um, that said, there are some clear best practices that, that we have kind of surfaced in this conversation already. You know, things like, you know, let the market decide what is the, the capacity of that program. I don't necessarily put an artificial cap or, you know, on, on that program. Um, that creates some sort of sustainable rate, you know, one that, again, lets projects be built economic, one economically, one that responds to the supply of projects, right, and isn't, you know, you know, we'd want everything to be too rich, and uh, but you also you want to make sure that the credit is viable as well, and one that allows everyone to participate as well. You know, again, if the point of community solar is to provide distributed generation and to provide choice to average consumers who cannot, or to commercial entities who cannot otherwise put on on-site rooftop solar, then let's make sure the policy is actually allow that and. You know, then there's the, the industry side that we also need to take care of and think about, about how you know, financier, financiers, for example, look at that. But at least let the policies respond to that first, and that will help in the conversations in the industry. When it comes to access, who do you think has done, well, which state would you say has done a, a particularly good job at making sure that community solar is accessible uh, to, to folks across the uh, spectrum? None. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just think that we haven't really seen a really... And, and you know, forgive me if I can't think of anything that off the top of my head, but I don't think we've seen any great example of where, like, for example, low moderate income participation in community solar is especially high. You know, you sort of have these requirements in, I think it's Colorado, right, where you know five percent of that project projects had to be LMI, and so people just gave it away, but you met five percent. You it wasn't really like market driven low moderate income participation, and you have these other markets like. You know, Maryland has a few buckets, New Jersey's program. Uh, you have other places that have tried to incentivize LMI. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a really tough challenge for the industry to take on. Um, you know, there's a lot of issues around on the acquisition side, the community trust side, and just how the financiers are, are looking at this as well. And, you know, I, personally, I don't know that I have the solutions here. Um, but, you know, what, what we have out there right now isn't totally working. Well, and a simple answer, I, I think, um, to the question of how do we make the market, um, I, I think you look at uh, if, if the state does want to create a, an incentive for this, because it does cost more to finance um, customers that, that don't have good credit score. So you create an incentive around, if that's what the state wants to do, you create an incentive around um, not checking credit scores so that covers the additional financing cost and um, you know looking at it from a customer acquisition perspective and which is something we struggle with when looking at low and moderate income is so let's say a state a lot of states have man you know you get extra points or something if you have 30 percent low and moderate income well we signed up 10,000 residential customers to community solar gardens and um, you know so so we go door to door we go in the communities imagine signing up at a community event 
and um, saying, okay, now everybody, um, can you show me your tax returns? Right. Now, now that's a you know interesting topic uh, nationally for somebody else's tax returns. But uh, I mean, you know, imagine knocking on you know certain doors in in low income neighborhoods, and uh, well, in order to qualify, I have to check your income level. So it, yeah. it gets. Um, you know that that's uh, demeaning to the individual that yeah. you're knocking on their door. So I, I personally have a problem with that. So you, um, uh, you know, I, I think you have to be careful in how you de- design policies around that um, to promote inclusion. Part of this is also just in the financing of of community solar. Um, when we started this eight and a half years ago, man, nobody would finance these projects. Yeah. Um, and now we're seeing one year contracts. We now have data to prove that. Credit score is not an uh, impacting factor on whether the customer will pay their utility bill, especially if they're saving money. Um, that's, in fact, the last bill they pay. They will stop paying their mortgage yep. before they pay their utility bill. So um, that those data sets, we have them. We're getting them into the financial community. I know other companies like Nexamp are doing the same. Um, that creates a financial world uh, and a financial precedent for being able to finance projects that don't have to check a credit score. So I think part of this is incentives. I think part of this is market dynamics and pushing the financial community. Um, but you have to be careful on how you do it so that you don't have unintended consequences. But if you look at the, the retail energy market, right, like they're, they have a huge focus on the LMI space and they're going door to door and they're making that happen. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, how, uh, you know, they seem to have a, a pretty good model in place for that. And, you know, what I think there should be some lessons that can be uh, learned that can be applied to the community solar space. And that's exactly the example I'm terrified of because yeah. uh, retail providers have a very bad reputation uh, in a lot of communities. And, and I, 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 I think we have to be careful as a community solar industry. I think MJ's heard about some <laughs> of this, but we have to be careful as a community solar industry. We do not want to uh, be seen as, as retail providers mm. and some of the problems that, that they've had, um, you know, promising certain things and doing certain things in certain communities. I mean, it's, it's the, the challenges that you have bad actors. Again, we, we think about this problem in solar too, right? This is not unique, but, you know, in retail energy, you have these bad actors that, you know, pretend like they're coming from the utility to get people sign up and, you know, then misrepresent the, the offering that they actually have and customers don't notice and suddenly they're getting a much higher charge on their utility bill. And you've actually had some attorney generals and, you know, specifically in like places like Illinois and Massachusetts have come down and so I think retail energy is a place where we need to actually learn some lessons of how not to do customer acquisition how not to target low income and try to find solutions that are ultimately better for these communities and the industry as a whole I think it's about it's it's you have bad actors in solar as well absolutely right? there are yeah. bad actors in solar as well right and there it's you know I don't think everyone it's I think yes there are many bad actors in the retail space but I don't think I think there are a lot of people that are doing it right, I don't think it's like this blanket statement that you can make across the board. But you can like look at, you know, there, are, you know, I don't have these numbers off the top of my head, right? But you can look at some reports from folks that have looked at, you know, people that are on retail energy and how much more as a whole in aggregate, you know, the, the, those communities are spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year more on their energy versus, you know, if they were just on utility standard offer. Right. And that is that's a challenge that we have to work with. Right. Like and, and, you know, again, that part of that is because, you know, folks either miss willingly misrepresent the offering or, you know, it's a confusing product. Right. Like customers don't totally understand what they're signing up for. And as a result, you know, you get, you get a bad customer experience. And, you know, for retail energy, you know, that's one thing. But for community solar, if this is truly something that we will believe that is part of 
the transformation of energy and bringing clean energy to everyday people, everyday businesses, then you know we have to hold ourselves to a much higher standard. Than yeah, so I mean, I, I agree that we need to be, you know, everyone should be held to a higher standard. But you know, when I look at customer acquisition, like you know, yes, there are bad actors, then there are good actors. When you look at the actual customer acquisition equation, right, like the, the retail space, they're paying as low as a hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars for a customer. When I'm hearing people on the community solar side saying, "Hey, we're paying five hundred, seven hundred, even a thousand dollars for customer acquisition." Now, uh, I don't know how much you guys want to share about what your customer acquisition costs are, but when I look at what, what's happening in the retail no, space... Nothing and, like that. Right, I want so, to know who's paying that so we can talk to them. I mean, <laughs> I, I was at a retail energy conference in New York just a couple weeks ago, and, and, and people from your team were there. No. Um, and, th- and those are the types of ranges that people are talking about. Um, so clearly, they're doing something right in that market. And while there are a lot of flaws in that market, when it comes to actually getting a customer to sign up for an offering, uh, they seem to have it down. I think it's a, I mean, it's a different model though, right? Uh, fundamentally, like if you think about the normal retail energy experience, again, you know, they typically have consolidated billing with purchase of receivables through the utility. Like not to get too wonky, but basically uh, customer signs up, customer provides their account information, this authorization to change their retail energy supplier. And next month, all of this is taken care of by the utility. Right. And, the, and that's why it's easy with community solar. Mm-hmm. There's a whole market education step like, you know, first most common question we get is, what the hell is community solar? Like, how does it work? What is it? What is actually happening? Am I getting solar? Is I, are you building it in my backyard, in my neighborhood? And, and so there's a market education piece. And then secondly, there is then, you know, extra steps in terms of, you know, whether, you know, just basically you need to also get you a customer to pay for the solar credits that get. It's not all taken care of by the utility. You have a, you know, third-party billing agent, whether that's, you know, Arcadia Power, Sunshare, or many other providers out there. Um, and that's, a, that's another step that people have to take. And then, you know, because, and actually because in some states, you know, these programs have had such a, you know, the regulators have had such a bad experience with bad actors of retail energy providers, now they want to insert new marketing guidelines and standards for community solar providers as well, because again, they they see this as a potential for a slippery slope down to, you know, having bad actors there too. And that enters, you know, Illinois comes to mind as, as one of the ones where, you know, there are now extra steps involved in the process. And every time you add an extra step, of course, customer acquisition, that means there's more fallout, lower conversion, and as a result, higher costs to acquire customers ultimately. I think sometimes uh, what we have to be careful is uh, overthinking, and I think you were making this point earlier, o- overthinking where we're driving. Um, and uh, making these programs so complicated that they slow down or inhibit the rollout of scale. And, um, you know, you take a, I just know the numbers in Colorado and Minnesota, but, you know, you take a market like Colorado um, where you have, uh, you know, that state, because solar's, the sun's not shining all the time, you're not going to have the state be 100% solar energy. Um, because you're gonna have different resources, but just put it in this perspective, if it was, it would be 40 gigawatts you would need to install with new solar. That's one state, and it's a relatively small state, about six million people, give or take. Um, uh, so when you, when you look at that, and you look at the scale that we need to move at in order to uh, you know, get this country to 100% renewable, you are talking about hundreds and hundreds of gigawatts of adoption. You're talking about millions and millions of customers. So. Uh, you know, the fact that I say we've got to 10,000 customers and that is 
maybe the largest or one of the largest community solar residential customer base. I don't know, MJ, I haven't heard your numbers recently, but... but we're, we're pretty close. I think we're, we're snapping we're at your heels. Neck, neck and neck. Yeah. So, but the fact that we're talking, I mean, you know what frustrates me? The fact that I'm talking about 10,000. Thousands, yeah. Not yeah. 10 million. Right. And that's where we got to get out in front of uh, these, these rules. And we have to start looking at what is the scale at which we need to be implementing solutions. And community is a lot faster than utility scale. Uh, to roll out mm -hmm. as, and it's also 100 kV and below, which means um, you are closer to the load base. Um, you're not going to have massive upgrades uh, that need to be, uh, you know, rate based years down the road as you get to 80, 90 percent renewables. There's a lot of benefits to it, um, but we need to remove the barriers. We need to not get so complicated. You know, you need to be thoughtful about, um, you know, certain things that we're discussing, but we also need to open the floodgates because the bigger problem that we have is climate change. Yeah. And we need to give people the options immediately to participate in renewable energy, put their dollars behind that cause when they can, when they want to, and run with that energy. So I have a question there. So I, and because you've been in this space for so long and you've been you know, helping craft some of the original community solar policies, right? You know, sort of when, when I take a look at the landscape right now, I see that there's a lot of energy being put into, you know, higher targets, you know, 100% RPSs, you know, and things of that nature, which is great from a policy standpoint, but often doesn't contemplate whether there is, you know, distributed generation, and then if there's distributed generation, and if there is community solar and, and equal participation involved. So I'm curious from your standpoint, like, you know, we talked about how there's, you know, only a handful of really, truly viable, exciting states right now. You know, how do we, how do we, like, build the importance of distributed, like the case for distributed generation and then community solar in the context of these, like, again, kind of these broader 100% RPS goals, but are a little bit more vague about how we get there. Well, I think it's, it's a really broad push. I mean, I think, you know, industry organizations like uh, CCSA, uh, the local branches of SIA that are involved in these conversations in states across the country, putting support behind uh, those organizations. But it's a, I think what's maybe a little bit missing right now is an overall theme that we need to start pushing across the industry, which is this is just a market share question, folks. Um, utilities are, in most states, monopolies. Mm -hmm. They do not want to give up market share. And in deregulated market, you know, you have, uh, you know, your own set of characters that have certain entrenched interests um, in keeping things as they are. Well, we got to change that. We got to take the chessboard toss it in the air, throw the pieces across the room. That's what we have to do right now if we want to make an impact. And I think in, in my uh, opinion, that means starting to dismantle monopolies in the energy space. Uh, that will allow the economics of distributed energy to play out and uh, letting customers have those choices. I mean, that's what community solar is. In, in right. a regulated market, um, it's illegal to sell energy to another customer across the utilities power lines. Community solar just broke that and it's breaking it in 20 states. Once you remove the, cap, uh, the caps on these markets, you've changed the dynamic of the marketplace. You now have customers that can choose where they want to get their energy from. I've always thought that commercial solar should have an easy button for financing, just like residential solar. But credit ultimately has been the gating item until now. Energetic insurance levels the playing field so that project developers can now offer the same electricity savings to small and medium businesses that were previously reserved for the large commercial buyers in the U.S. Their in-their-rate credit cover policy provides the missing link, or that easy button I mentioned earlier. For commercial solar, it's basically the FICO score that 
we're so familiar with in residential solar. And it enables savvy developers and investors to quickly finance commercial solar projects. Don't take my word for it. Check it out for yourself. Go to energeticinsurance.com forward slash suncast and submit your projects today. What do you got to lose? 70% of projects qualify and the review process is drop dead easy. Go hit the easy button on commercial solar at energeticinsurance.com forward slash suncast. Hey, are you losing commercial solar sales because of high demand charges that minimize the ROI for your customer? Extensible Energy's Demand X software is an affordable new solution for reducing peak demand charges by 30%. No batteries required. Extensible's intelligent software analyzes solar production, utility rates, weather data, and more. Then it crunches that data, monitors solar and flexible loads, and automatically reduces peak demand spikes increasing your customer's ROI and decreasing payback time. Head to extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast for a free demand charge analysis for your project and to learn more about Extensible's partner program for commercial solar installers. You can learn more at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. So my question as as someone who has much less experience directly with the costs and the implications of the, the, the power delivery to the client is the, the subscriber experience is simply a question of, uh, of purchase transfer, right? What all they want uh, at, the, at the end of the day is the electricity coming to their home with a positive conscious effort to buy green power, as it were, buy, a, 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 buy from a generation cho- source that makes them feel good about the, their contribution, their ability to contribute in mass, right? We're not talking about the one or two or five percent that make a conscious choice because they live in an apartment, but they also want to be able to support green power to purchase from a, a community solar uh, plant. One of the things that we, had, we talked about in our last conversation is the, because of the way uh, finance has historically been uh, brought to the market, it's very difficult in, at scale to get these projects financed, to actually get 10, 20 megawatts built without sort of this idea of an anchor tenant, right? Having a big corporate come in and take 5, 20, 50% of a deal to give the banks comfort that there's actually revenue secured for the project. How is that piece of the puzzle evolving within the context of the fact that like, look, at the end of the day, we want community choice we, and we want the markets to open up. I think that it's, uh, it does our entire industry a disservice that we're, we're actually trying to figure out how to crack the code on a, on, a, on a limited market, right, instead of a cap, which means implicitly that we're going to be incentivizing building these big park, these parks as fast as possible to hit a target number of RPS rather than to make as much solar available as possible, right? So if we're trying to hit a target number and we're, and we're incentivizing the incumbents who maybe are big solar developers that have big retailers that are willing to come on board, how does that couple with our desire to also just bring the opportunity to low middle income families bring it to the masses right it's a couple of different questions in there but i'm looking at the are the incentives aligned from the finance side of the business as well as uh from the way the generally speaking the part the projects are structured to to encourage what you guys do which is 100 percent residential solar farms for community solar versus the broader topic of having large corporates and this sort of token aggregation of residential players or residential customers 
Well, I think I, I think the market is there. I mean, it took a while to get financiers willing to accept residential, mm. uh, particularly. I mean, we started the company in 2011. That was not uh, too long after the the Great Recession, mm -hmm. uh, so so financiers were hesitant to take on more residential um, credit onto their portfolios. So, um, you know, I think some of this is market cycle determined. I think some of this is just comfort in the community solar space. But I think the market fundamentals are there. I think the the only barrier at this point, I mean, the cost is there. I think the only barrier at this point is removing these uh, regulatory roadblocks. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, what's interesting to me about that, I think renewable portfolio standard, that works in very blue states where you have large democratic majorities that want to push a renewable portfolio standard. I think it's a lot harder where you have split legislatures or Republican-leaning states. Yeah. Um, the benefit of this message of removing barriers and letting customers choose renewable energy, that's a, a message that both parties understand. And um, uh, that's a very powerful political message. Like, look guys, we, we're there on cost now. Solar and wind are the cheapest sources of new energy on the planet. Mm. Um, I mean, maybe not in Alaska. I don't, I don't know how solar does there, but in, in most of the popular areas in the country. In Alaska. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, certain bad. times of the year especially. But you know, when you, when you look at the economics of this industry, we're there. Yeah. The, the, ball, uh, the, the, the ball game going forward is breaking through these barriers. And that's the value, I think, of commute solar, particularly residential commute solar. Our 10,000 customers, MJ's 10,000 customers, everybody that you're going to be you know, talking to in marketing and bringing on board, these are our spokespeople. These are the voters. These are the people who are going to get these programs to expand, that are going to get the legislators to vote for them, and... Uh, and, and get the legislators to vote for allowing choice. Yeah, and that's how you break through that wall of entrenched monopolies hmm. by getting the people behind the effort and uh, opening up markets. Yeah, I feel like it's less about the finance now and becomes more about the marketing, right? Like when you're going into communities, it's if you if you go to a consumer and you say, "Hey, do you want green electrons or brown electrons?" Like they're going to say green electrons, right. like more than nine out of ten times, mm -hmm. right? And so um, it, it is an awareness piece. It is a market education piece, and I think you need to balance like how much education you are providing to the market. I, mean, I think it's great to get people up to speed, but if and, and make sure that they really understand things. But if it's you know if getting to ten million, you know, from from ten thousand is the difference of you know making it a much, much simpler uh, exchange. And it's just, it's a matter of, hey, this is green electrons. We're going to take care of the rest. It's going to be the same price or cheaper. Like that should, that should be the pitch, you know, and, and, and hey, you're going to be able to drive past this, this site uh, on your way home from work, you know, like that, that's that. And that's a nice thing on top of it. But I, I think the marketing piece is, is really important. And um, I do think it's, a, it's, it's neglected uh, a, a lot of the times in, in the customer uh, acquisition uh, conversation and maybe a lot of that just because it is you know a lot of people are focused more on uh, the CNI customers and CNI offtakers and, and less on the residential well, side. Jake, I'd take it one step further, and I think you're you're really onto something. I think most of the industry is focused on the utility and the financier, mm -hmm. not the CNI. That's why they're focusing on the utility offtake contracts, the CNI offtake contracts, um, is because they're going after that double A credit rating and um, to to lower their financing costs. I think what we need to start doing as a community solar industry is breaking through that barrier, telling the financing community, no, this is where you're going. Mm -hmm. This is where we need you to go, and we need the policymakers to open. Trust me, you open up a lot of uncapped markets, and the fi financiers 
will find their way to placing capital in those markets. Yeah. You have multi-gigawatt yeah. markets, they will put their money there, and then we need to focus on that customer side. When I look at what's happened piece. in the last year, you know, I think one of the most exciting things to happen is more and more companies moving to um, you know, getting rid of the 20-year commitment, making it you know, one-year commitment really easy to opt out, um, and like simplifying that part of the equation. Um, and the more financiers you have get comfortable with that, I think that you know, opens it up. Um, but from a marketing perspective to say, hey, hey, easy opt out, um, you know, not looking at your FICO score, like this is just a much simpler transaction. Um, and, you, you know, once, a finance, once the financiers start to see, hey, you know, someone leaves the, leaves, you know, leaves the community solar subscription and uh, you have a wait list right. to get people, you know, in there, you know, they're not, they're not going to care. They're not going to care that, you know, it's a 20 year commitment versus a one year commitment or, um, you know, no penalty opt out or, you know, small penalty for opt out kind of a thing. It's I think of, you, you're totally right. And that's, you know what that is? It's customer service. And, um, you know, our dirty little secret is um, financiers re- forced us to have long-term customer contracts. Our little secret is, well, we've had the penalty, and, and I hope financiers aren't listening, but we have the penalties in there. We have 10,000 customers that we've been billing for eight and a half years. We've never once assigned a customer a penalty. Why? Not because we couldn't. Because that's bad customer service. It's bad for your brand. Right. Yeah. It's bad for your message. It's bad for your values and your fighting. mission. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, and, and finally, eight and a half years later, financiers are realizing this. So, yeah. the financiers will move where the market moves, and we can move the financial community, but we have to do that thoughtfully, and we really have to push on them to, to do so. so and I but, think that's happened, though. Oh, I'm sorry, Nico. That's okay. Go for it. <laughs> I, I think that's happened. I think that's the most kind of amazing change I've seen in the past you know, 12 to 18 months is that I mean, part of it is driven by the fact that financing is very competitive. At the financiers are seeing a lot of competition in the market. You know, these projects are getting very competitive. Yields are being compressed. And people need to look at how, to, and then people are being more intelligent about, you know, what does it actually take to acquire, as, you know, Jake's mentioned, acquire and manage these customers long term. And as a result, you know, we've seen financiers much more willing to open up to these new, um, you know, month to month. Uh, you know, no FICO score, guaranteed savings contracts. And that's good for the market. And as we build continued data to show that, you know, that is still, you know, that is still making the payment stream reliable for them and they're still earning the return that they're expected, that will then open up some of the more conservative banks who, you know, are still a little sitting on the sidelines waiting to see how it plays out. And, you know, unfortunately for them, they'll be a little bit late to the game, but at least they'll be there. So I have a, I have a question around business model because it seems to me like, Necessarily, one of the first uh, community solar companies in the in the nation to really drive this forward. There weren't solar parks out there waiting for you, from a marketing perspective, to sell the power that was there. Right? There wasn't a solar park that you could go to somebody and be like, "Hey, you know what? I get a whole bunch of residential customers to subscribe to that park for you." So you had to go build that asset. Right? Therein lies the business model for SunShare, which is build and own assets and build a subscriber base that subscribes to those assets. In contrast with Arcadia Power's business, which is not just community solar, you're providing a, sur- a broader suite of services. I think it was like six or seven or eight different services that you can offer, which is more on the retail energy sort of business model, as it were, because they're not generating the power themselves. As we begin to see this scale, I'm curious how you see the business model evolving and how that affects your, you've got a top, a top grade marketing program and education program. That can be uh, that can be utilized by others who want to sell and trade this asset. Uh, where does this business? How does this business model evolve? And what I reflect on before we answer is, in the 
you know, Verizon and Comcast and now Google Fiber, they go and build the asset and then go get subscribers, right? Whereas right now in Community Solar, we do it completely the opposite. And we beg financiers to join, to join up as though people don't need electrons. And as, as you said, if really 9 out of 10 are saying, I want green electrons over brown, why do we have to beg the market to, why, don't, why, why isn't the market willing to take a bet on building this asset out, expecting that just like cable or telephone, people are, we're going to be able to market well and find subscribers. That's a great, uh, yeah, that's a great point. I think I, it's time. <laughs> I, I, it, it takes time for the market to fall. I mean, well, I started Sunshare, uh, you know, in, a, in an apartment when I was, uh, I don't know, 23 or 24 years old. So I, you know, and, and probably my, my naivete is why I started it, right? But, um, you know, I think, um, I thought all this was going to happen in about 12 months' time, right? Now, now I'm eight, eight and a half years later, and everybody's like, community solar is the thing. And I was like, oh, I thought it was about eight years ago. <laughs> um, but, you know, these things are happening, and they will happen. Mm. I think the point at which we have reached success yeah. is when Amazon jumps into the space because you have enough customers. And, and those are the, you know, it's just market acceptance. It's, uh, you know, understanding of the market, financial community, comfort. I want Amazon in this but, space. When you've got community solar markets everywhere in the country, great, and Amazon says this is scalable enough. We're selling renewable energy. But what is Amazon going to jump in this space doing? Right? Are they? Who's the Whole Foods? Of oh, they're the, the retailer. Holy shit! You, I mean, imagine you go on Amazon, you buy everything that you need, including your groceries. And, and my fiance just bought a hot tub on Amazon. I mean, yeah. you can buy anything on there. And so, but that, but that, like to the, to your point, why can't you buy model, energy on there? The business and the reason model is you don't owning, have uncapped and and customer choice. Yeah, but the business model of owning the asset for you that would be very beneficial if Amazon gets into the retail space, right? Because you can. Oh, absolutely. You now are a service provider to Amazon. That's right. right? Yeah. Whereas if Amazon jump, when Amazon jumps into the space now, do does it create competition for Arcadia or is it some other? Well, they probably just bought well, we Arcadia. Have a, you know, we do have a partnership with Amazon where you know we are looking at uh, energy efficiency devices. And, and I think that's part of it is, is one of the re- things we think about community solar is oftentimes it's, it's in a silo. Like we talk to a customer about, you know, and can the community solar market more broadly, we get a customer really excited about community solar and then we're like, great, this is a subscriber contract and wait eight months and you'll start getting savings and bill credits. And once that happens, that great, that's great. But, you know, this is an opportunity really to start transforming again, distributed energy overall how consumers are using energy how uh you know what products and distributed energy resources are on the grid and you know again consumers are the central central piece of that and you know community solar community solar organizations have a sort of a unique relationship where they can use that and start to build on top of that community solar subscription different products, different services that will continue to help that customer get them more access to clean energy, more support for clean energy in communities. And again, that's the thesis of Arcadia Power. Once you have a relationship with a customer, you can start to provide more services that will help them continue to transform the grid and also be a benefit to them I mean, what, as well. Arcadia is like the Amazon of, of clean energy services, right? <laughs> you're, like, you're like mini Amazon. I mean, one time, you know, Eventually, they're going to gobble you up, and now you got a trillion-dollar company pushing on unmar- you know uncapped community solar markets. And I can't wait until that point because the utilities will run scared. Yeah, <laughs> I think, but you've uh, talked about. I mean, we talked about uh, bundling services before, and um, 
I think that's something that everyone needs to be thinking about in this space. There's a massive opportunity for upselling, for community partnerships, for service provider partnerships. Um, you know, there's no reason for you know for a community solar company that's you know operating the market to stay engaged with their customer base by offering you know electric uh, vehicles, electric vehicles, or, or home insulation, or uh, you know. Uh, for HVAC, you know, upgrades and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I love the way that you guys are, you know, are the Arcadia team is thinking about it. Um, and uh, I, I think we need to see a lot more of that in the industry. Um, and uh, yeah, lots of opportunity there. So I often end Suncast with a bold prediction. And I, we may have already said uh, what, the, what the linchpin is, but if we're standing at 2025, looking back, at the year to come, 2020. What's your prediction of what it took to unlock and really unleash the market? What, what, what market mechanism, what thing is it that you predict is gonna be, is gonna create this, this flood of customers into the market with 10 million instead of 10,000? David? I'll have to go first on that one. Um, You've been thinking about it the longest. Jeez. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think you, you've got these bigger macro trends um, uh, you know, policy-wise. And I think the slow rate at which utilities are changing uh, is going to uh, conflict with the rate at which consumers want to adopt renewable energy. In other words, uh, Excel Energy is getting a lot of credit for being carbon-free by 2050. I don't know many people that say, I want to be carbon-free by 2050. I want to be carbon-free tomorrow. So um, I think that is going to create a, a point of natural tension and um, I think consumers are going to push this. And I think us as companies need to help shepherd that, um, that breaking point, frankly. The breaking point at which you, you break open new markets and you bring the 90% of customers uh, that choice. So I think that's going to be the macro dynamic that is going to change things and is going to open these markets and change it from 10,000 to 10 million. The 10 million will demand it. And they will be loud. I think five years out, um, the question of what is community solar is not going to really be a, a question that you hear very often. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of, uh, I think there's going to be a, a massive jump in awareness um, over the next five years. Um, and so, I mean, I think that that is, you know, kind of, you know, on, on that point, like consumers aren't going to, you know, the consumers aren't going to sit idle and, and, you know, wait for it. Um, I, I think the, uh, it's it can be a simple story, and I think that a lot of people are gonna, you know, people are gonna echo that story in the market, and people are gonna start sharing their experience more, and they're gonna start encouraging their friends, and there's gonna be, you know, companies like SunShare and Arcadia that are gonna, you know, create incentives for other people to, you know, for for their customer base to be sharing what's happening in the market. Um, so I think the customer edu- the investment in, that's going to go into customer uh, education, which is keeping a lot of the customer acquisition costs high in community solar, is going to go away. Um, and I think that customer acquisition costs are going to go down uh, in a very substantial, uh, very substantial way. And uh, I think um, I don't know, is, is ten million the target? Is that uh, do we want to? Is that too low? Do, do we want to have a, a, a prediction five Ooh. years out? What's by, by twenty twenty five? I think ten million is pretty good. Yeah. Twenty thirty, I'll be sad if it's at that level. Yeah. Okay. 10% of the household, a little under, like 8%, 10%. That's pretty good. 2025? Yeah. 2025 nationally? Okay. All right. Okay. You I guys want to shake on that? Uh, I don't know. I would take that bet, but... Uh, we'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> I think we'll see in certain markets certainly reach that penetration, like places like New York. But 
uh, again, I think there's a lot of things that have to go right to get that far, but I hope I'm wrong on that, you know? And I also hope that 2025, you know, Amazon has bought Arcadia for a trillion dollars. <laughs> I'm looking at it from the Caribbean, uh, but I'm going to go a little bit, a <laughs> little bit a good more. equity package, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hope uh, you have a good off-grid system. <laughs> but I think I'm going to go a little bit more wonky here. I think one of the opportunities here is that we need to stop. We need to start exploring ways to build community solar-like programs and products and services for customers without necessarily always having to come back to the policy table, right? So, you know, uncapped programs are great in terms of like they can set it and forget it, but also thinking about how we leverage wholesale markets, build large, you know, commu- or large solar projects, and then have residential offtake in the same way that you would have, you know, again, CNI offtake like an Amazon or an Apple data center, right? And is there a way to you know, again, build the financial structures, the market structures to give all the pieces of that and get them comfortable and have that also be a benefit at the end of the day to the consumers too. And I think, you know, as we see cost of solar going down, I think that's within spitting distance. You know, that, that's something that we will start to see and definitely will see by 2025. I love the contrast. You've got like, you're like policy, policy first. You're like, no, it's your policy. We're out of here. We well, we have, have a buff. We have that buff, right? Markets and policies. Well, and policies changed from incentives to now it's just remove the barriers. Right. So right. That's, that's a difference. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's going to be an exciting ride regardless. And I know that you guys as leaders in the industry are going to be forming and shaping that. I'm really, I'm really interested to see who's the company that comes up in, between now and 2025 that, that scares your socks off. That <laughs> what company. do you mean? This is one and two. Yeah, that, there you go. It's, it's yeah. Nobody scares my socks off. If we get to this end goal faster because 20 million companies get into this space, Good. I am the happiest person alive. Nice. Love it. Uh, well, there you have it, folks. This has been a really, really interesting, it's certainly for me, uh, learning more about Community Solar, a really interesting session. I want to thank our guests, MJ Shao, Director of Corporate Strategy at Arcadia Power, Jake Rosemarin, Vice President of Antenna Group, and David Amstrolshevsky, the founder and CEO of SunShare. A wealth of knowledge shared here all about Community Solar, where it is and where it's going. Thank you guys for joining us here at the Podcast Lounge. And uh, also a special thank you to our session sponsor, EDF Renewables. Thank you so much to all the companies that have come alongside to help make the Podcast Lounge possible. And last but certainly not least, once back back to you guys, thanks for taking time out of your busy day to come here and help educate the masses. Thank you, Nico. Nico. Thank you. Thank you, Suncast. Well, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warrior, but the conversation does not end here. Oh, no. I know that MJ and David, Jake, and I will be posting about this one over on LinkedIn for sure. And we'd love to hear your feedback. What stands out to you about the current state of community solar? What do you find most intriguing or perhaps perplexing about this discussion? (laughs) Find us on LinkedIn or Twitter and sound off. And hey, speaking of sounding off, I'd love to invite you to please head over to mysuncast.com and take a couple minutes to give us feedback in our first ever listener survey. And as a thank you, you'll be entered into the drawing I'll be doing this coming Monday of our survey takers and email subscribers, where I will, as a Christmas gift, gift one year of our Suncast Premium Membership, which is our entry into the Suncast Guild. And we're going to be doing some upgrades to the Guild in the coming year. 
If you're unfamiliar with the premium membership, you can learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash member. Both a survey entry and an email subscription will get you entered into the drawing. I hope that you're wrapping 2019 up in a bow and feeling a sense of gratitude for another year full of accomplishments. I'm grateful for you sticking with me all the way through this episode and for those who have been along for the 200 plus episodes we've published so far on Suncast. I'm looking forward to the next decade and and I can't wait to meet you in person someday. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.